This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us once again today by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, our gospel reading began. Now, when Jesus heard this, which begs the question, heard what? Well, the preceding verses of Matthew 14 tell us what, he, what had happened and what Jesus had just heard. The news that he had received was that his cousin and his colleague, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod as a party favor for his new wife, Herodias. Herod's stepdaughter had performed what was probably an exotic dance, which had been such a hit with all the guests that Herod foolishly offered her anything she wanted as a reward. Well, after consulting with her mother, the girl asked for the head of John the Baptist, right there, right then, on a platter. The contrast between that decadent banquet in King Herod's palace and the picnic that was about to take place on the hillside by the lake could hardly have been greater. King Herod throws a lavish party with all the trappings of human power, pride, arrogance, foolishness, lust, and scheming, which ends with murder. Jesus throws a simple picnic by the lake, which is marked by healing, sharing, and serving, and which ends with a real demonstration of the kingly power of Jesus, the Son of God. But before we get to the picnic, I don't want to miss some important things that happened along the way. First, I want us to notice how Jesus reacts when he hears about his cousin's murder. When Jesus hears this gut-wrenching account of what had happened, he wants to be alone. Matthew tells us he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. And this seems a very understandable very healthy response in the face of such dreadful news and grief. Unfortunately for Jesus, however, when the crowds hear that he set off in a boat, they follow him on foot around the lake from the surrounding towns. And by the time that Jesus gets to where he is going and goes ashore, throngs of people are there to meet him. Now, if you or I had done that and hordes of people came up to us, I suspect we might have told them to go away. I just need some space. I, I can't deal with everybody today. At least, I'm pretty sure that's what I'd want to say, and I'm a raving extrovert, so I can't imagine what normal people would want. Well, maybe Jesus felt something of that, but Matthew tells us that his overwhelming response was one of compassion. And so Jesus was able to take his own grief and sorrow and loss and, and refocus all of that into compassion, kindness, and love for these people that were before him. What a profound example for us. I wonder what might happen if we, with God's help and grace, might practice 
doing likewise. So very specifically, I wonder how might we do this in the midst of this ongoing pandemic and in our politically polarized nation today. Let us be praying that our grief or sorrow or fatigue be refocused, reprocessed, changed into compassion for others. So ask God to change your sorrow into compassion. There is, of course, a time to retreat and withdraw, to be alone and to pray. Indeed, Matthew tells us that after this miracle by the lake, Jesus dismissed the crowds and did finally get away, and he went up by himself in the mountains to pray, and there are times when we absolutely need to do that. There may be days when you feel overcome with grief or sadness, but then life interrupts, and there are tired and hungry people that need you. And so your legitimate need to grieve and to have time and space alone has to be put on hold. Uh, parents of young children and other caregivers, I'm sure, know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, Jesus was willing not only to meet with the crowds, but he also rolled up his sleeves and, and got to work. He spent the day healing the sick. And then at the end of the day, when evening had come, the disciples come to Jesus and we're familiar with what happens next. Indeed, this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that we find described in all four of the Gospels. But before we look at the miracle itself, the second thing I want us to notice after Jesus' how he reacted, the second thing comes in the conversation that takes place between Jesus and the disciples. No matter what intractable problems we encounter, the lesson is this. We are to bring them to Jesus. When the disciples come to Jesus with the problem, what do you suppose their state of mind is? Is it A, they are frustrated with Jesus and or the crowd? Is it B, they themselves are simply tired and hungry? C, they, like Jesus, are concerned for the crowds with real compassion? Or D, all of the above? I guess, as is so often the case with us, they may well have had very mixed motives. But whatever thoughts or feelings they had, they knew they were faced with a big problem. There are thousands of people in front of them who are tired and hungry, and they're in the middle of nowhere. What was to be done about it? And in their tired, frustrated, mixed, motivated state, they actually do the right thing. They take the problem to Jesus. And this is always a good thing to do even if the way they present themselves and the issue is less than ideal. They're pretty blunt about it. No greeting, no uh, asking how Jesus is doing, how he's doing in his, in his sorrow and grief. Uh, no asking what Jesus thinks they should do. No, they march up and complain, and they presume, presume to tell Jesus what he should do. Verse 15, this is a deserted place and the hour is now, now late. Send the crowds away. And Jesus says, in effect, I'm not sending them away. They don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. And again, the, the disciples could have said, but how? Or we'd love to, please help us. And what they actually do is say is rather, is rather different. In essence, they say, don't be ridiculous. There's nothing here except five pathetic bread rolls and two fish. The food they had clearly couldn't possibly solve the problem. So why bother? Why do anything? 
And I wonder how often when we're faced with seemingly insurmountable challenges where we have simply not enough to deal with whatever it is that we're up against, do we behave in a similar way? I'm sure there are situations in which you feel that your five and two are just not enough to address your 5,000. And we can and do so easily become discouraged by circumstances that feel and seem to be just overwhelming. Well, clearly on that day, the disciples were, were, were faced with overwhelming need and underwhelming resources. And we may face seemingly hopeless situations at work or at home or all around us. But our response needs not to be, I can't fix this, so I won't do anything. Rather, we are called to do what we can with what we have and leave the rest up to God. Never, ever underestimate what God can do. And Jesus says, bring these fish and this bread, bring it to me which is our third takeaway this morning. We're called to share what we have to bring our nothings, our five and two. Your five loaves and two fish may be your financial resources. They may be your skills, your time, talent, treasure, or whatever else it is that you may have in however large or small amounts that you have been blessed. I wonder, what is your nothing? Who are your 5,000? What are your realities that lead you to conclude that the situation is hopeless? Well, Jesus took what the disciples brought and he used it for his glory and for his purposes. And God never asks us to do the impossible without being there to help. He does, however, frequently and surprisingly ask us to play our part in his plans and to do what we can and to give of what we have. And then he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. God asks us to do something with what we have, some time, a pair of hands, a willingness to serve, a heart to listen. That's all that most of us have. These are the things Jesus asks us to offer to God, for him to bless and for him to use. That's what happened with the disciples as they faced that hungry crowd of thousands of people. We know, of course, from the other gospel accounts, and we, we had a sneak preview with the children's story, where the five loaves and two fish came from, there was a boy who offered his lunch. Now, I don't suppose that Jesus needed the boy's lunch to do this miracle, and yet God chose to work through this young lad. He chose to use the disciples, and, and still today he works through children, he works through young people, he works through all kinds of people, people like us. And so God asks ordinary people like you and me in order that through us, by his power, he may do extraordinary things. And God is still a God of miracles. 
And the privilege and challenge for us is to respond to God's call to serve him and to be a part of those miracles, which finally brings us to the miracle itself, a miracle in which others get to participate. And the disciples got to be the ones who passed out all that food. And in this lies the fourth thing I want to notice this morning. See what he will do. See what Jesus will do. Verse 19, Jesus gave the food to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. It's amazing what Jesus does with the kind of nothings that we give to him. So God takes our very weaknesses and turns them into his opportunities. Bishop Tom Wright says this uh, about all of this. We blunder in with our ideas. We offer uncomprehending what little we have. Jesus takes ideas, loaves and fishes, money, a sense of humor, time, energy, talents, love, artistic gifts, skill with words, quickness of eye or fingers, whatever we have to offer. He holds them before his father with prayer and blessing, then breaks them so that they are ready to use. He gives them back to us to give to those who need them. And now they are both ours and not ours. They are both what we had in mind and not what we had in mind. Something greater and different, more powerful and mysterious, yet also our own. It is part of genuine Christian service at whatever level that we look on in amazement to see what God has done with bits and pieces we dug out of our meager resources to offer to him. That is just so true. When you realize that the challenges you face are too great as the disciples faced, come to Jesus. Come with all your mixed motives. Come as you are. So finally, to summarize, pray that God would help you first to react as Jesus would react. Ask God to turn your frustrations into his compassion. Second, come to Jesus, mixed motives and all. Third, share what you have, even though it may feel like nothing. And fourth, stand back and see what God will do. Whether you have a lot or a little, God wants you to offer your five and your two, your time, your talent, your resources. He wants you to lay before him your very self, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that he may take you and use you and bless you and bless others through you. Did you notice the words that Jesus used when he took those loaves and fish in his hands? Jesus took the loaves, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, almost word for word, the same as the words he used at the Last Supper. Like those physically hungry and hangry crowds, so many today are spiritually hungry, hungry for truth, hungry for meaning, hungry for forgiveness, hungry desperately, desperately hungry for hope. And the only way that spiritual hunger can be satisfied is for people to come to Jesus, the living bread, and to feed on him. 
And later in our service, those who are present here this morning and those who will come afterwards for our walk through communion will have an opportunity to come again and share in the Eucharist. And you'll be invited to feed on Christ in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And so to all, the invitation is to come, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you're righteous, but that you love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to follow him. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and your sin, you stand in constant need of his mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek his presence and to pray for his spirit. Listen, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Amen.